Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. On today, we're continuing our IEEE blockchain series uh, and talking about the emerging participatory grid. What is that? We have on with us Dr. Farouk Rahimi, uh, who is going to talk to us about this subject. Uh, Dr. Rahimi is uh, works at Open Access Technology International, is the executive vice president um and i had never heard of them before but he gave me some background before but been around since what 1995 providing scheduling transmission energy trading services where they got their start now offering all kinds of cloud offerings to financial utilities trading regulatory in the energy sector and he can give you more when he when he talks about himself uh but dr rahimi welcome thanks for joining today Thank you so very much for having me. Glad to be here. And yes, thanks for the introduction. I am the Executive VP at Open Access Technology International, OATI. And as you pointed out, the company was, uh, has been in um, existence for over 25 years since the dawn of transmission open access in North America. Mm-hmm. That basically started the restructuring. And um, basically, as you pointed out, it started by providing transmission uh, services for transmission system operators. Because one of the issues that happened back 25 years ago with transmission open access was that suddenly the transmission operators noticed that there are flows through their systems because they had to open up the transmission system for traders and and different parties transacting with one another. And they needed tools to manage all of these transactions. Mm -hmm. That's where the company started, then went into energy trading and risk management, for the entities who are trading in these uh, energy markets. And as of about 12 years ago, with um, the emphasis on the distributed energy resources and the ARA Act, if you remember, the company started leveraging this infrastructure to provide similar services with distribution and grid edge. Now, what we see now, particularly with movements such uh, as the FERC uh, 719 back about 12 years ago and 745 and more recent FERC 222 in the US, we are seeing a move that parallels what we saw 25 years ago, where it is simply trying to open the distribution to other participants. And that is why. We call this a participatory grid because traditionally, the way that the grid operated, you had bulk power generation, flow of energy from bulk power through transmission systems to distribution, and then distributed to the end customers. Mm-hmm. The 
flow of power these days with proliferation of distributed energy resources is now becoming bi-directional. You have rooftop solar that can actually feed energy into the local grid. And so the flow of energy is no longer unidirectional. The same way with respect to our information. Traditionally, we had information come from the field to control centers. In other words, sensors that would basically take measurements and provide the control centers. Now, we see the flow of information also bi-directional. For example, prices mm-hmm. being disseminated to consumers who can then react to those prices, or they have smart devices that can react to those prices and adjust the consumption to the extent possible in order to reduce their charges or maximize the benefits they can get from this agility that the modern technology provides to them. The same thing with the transfer of funds. Previously, it was only funds one directional from the consumers all the way to the utilities and so on and so forth. But now even that is bi-directional because if you're providing some of these services, uh, signing up with some of these programs, you get some money back. Uh, you uh-huh. get, uh, for example, so we're all, we're all We're all now participating. But let's take a break. We're going to hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today, talking to Dr. Farouk Rahimi uh, about, we talked about participatory grid before the break, um, and uh, coming into we're here on our special series for IEEE Blockchain. So kind of coming back to IEEE Blockchain now, you actually tell us, talk us about your position with the block, IEEE Blockchain. Yeah, I have been involved with the IEEE Energy Blockchain for a number of years now. And in fact, I was the technical lead for uh, a position paper, uh, Blockchain Transactive Energy or BCT initiative that um, is now becoming popular. It is used as a basis for some of the pilot administration projects that are coming forward uh, to explore how um, blockchain can address some of the issues that we are facing in this participatory grid. Some of these issues have to do, of course, with security, cybersecurity. Some have to do with issues such as double sale, double Mm -hmm. payment to the customers, because as I mentioned, some customers can provide services to the distribution grid, there's distribution Great um, utility programs such as net metering and 
so on and so forth. And at the same time, provide services to the bottle cover market either directly or through the aggregator. There are some concerns about double payment. Uh, and, and so blockchain is, is one of the mechanisms that can address this very easily. Uh, in fact, I had an experience, I have been around for about 50 years in this industry. And before joining OATI, I was with California ISO. And some, uh, about 20 years ago, one of the issues that we had there as I was market design, market um, monitoring, California ISO was the issue of double sale through contractual arrangements that we used to call at that time physical inter SC contract. SC is a scheduling coordinator, and these are participants in the uh, California ISO market. And at that time, because there was no blockchain methodology popularized, we had to put in place a very elaborate system to keep track of the source of all of these trades that would change hand all the way to the market that they would be participating in the ISO market. Had we had blockchain technology available at that time, that would have been the natural choice to use at that point to, to address that issue of, of double sale. So there are these kinds of issues, double sale, mm -hmm. Tracking the origin, for example, for renewable energy uh, credit track. So yeah. It's how blockchain can really come to rescue addressing some of these issues. Yeah. So participatory grid, we've kind of, we've heard you talk a, a little bit about it, especially the, the first part. But if we had to put a definition and, you know, tag who all the players are, give us kind of that overview. Right. In, in this emerging grid, first of all, we have a number of players. Uh, aggregators uh, come to mind as the primary uh, players in the new arena. Aggregator. What, what, explain that, that in yeah. terms of your industry. Sure, sure. The aggregators are entities who are not really distribution utilities. They are not providing services and energy services to the consumers, but they go and knock on the doors and offer uh, some compensation to the consumers in return for their ability to package or bundle their renewable energy or, or whatever capabilities they have, flexibilities, and then offer them to the market, to the aggregators. And that, that, that's really the main thing in FERC order two, 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 that was issued in September uh, 2020. And, and all of these um, ISO and RTO markets are, are dealing with that. And the aggregators are in the center of this thing. They can go knock on the doors, bundle all of these distributed energy resources, convert them into what is known as virtual power plants. Gotcha. I have heard... I've heard now power shedding in terms of they can go get a thousand people that they give them permission to shut off something in their home. And that actually becomes a power provider net to the grid because they're getting rid of load. And, and that's a, that's a form of this, right? Correct. That is the older version. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, order 719 back in 2008 was concentrating only on that aspect 
which is demand reduction, mm-hmm. and therefore it was called demand response at that time. Then a few years later in 2011, FERC came up with Order 745 that basically said these guys who reduce demand should get paid the locational marginal price, the LMP for the amount of um, consumption they reduce. Then this, this expanded back in 2018, FERC came up with, with an order on energy storage that enabled energy storage facilities to provide all kinds of great services. And finally, in September 2020, we distributed energy resources, all kinds of distributed energy resources to be aggregated and, and provide these services. So the aggregators are now in a position to go ahead and, and aggregate all of these capabilities, flexibilities, offer them into the bulk power market and get compensated. Of course, on the other hand, they pay something to the uh, consumers or consumers for making these capabilities available to the aggregators to curtail them or or use their um, storage output or even electricity. So they might even be using their house to put their solar cells on so they have a whole bunch of houses that have solar cells and then they could sell that capability in bulk. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. So, so that is really the function of the aggregators for the main. And of course, we have now the modular grid operators and, and, and with um, microgrids have an additional advantage because not only they are capable to participate in various markets, so they're already by a natural, they have a uh, point of interconnection with the grid um, that, that through which they can interact with the distribution grid and then further up with the transmission and bulk power. Uh, but um, they have an additional advantage of providing resilient services. In other words, uh, when power is shut off, for example, I am OATI headquartered in Minneapolis, but I live in California, and we have to deal with PSPS, which is the public safety power shutoff. And, and that uh, really microgrids uh, are, are the best solution to provide the resilience required for, um, I think, getting prepared when, when the utility company shuts you off or disconnects the transmission server in your area. You can actually do that either by prior arrangements or, again, using blockchain to basically solicit bids and offers and get the best deal you can so that you're food in the refrigerator does not get rotten when, when your power is shut off. You get there from the neighboring school or whoever has a microgrid. Interesting. So let's take a break here. We hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back in a couple minutes. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today, talking to Dr. Farouk Rahimi uh, about 
the participatory grid. Before the break, we talked about what that meant, what that looked like, who the players were. Um, so I want to look at this from two different aspects. One, if you, uh, you know, where do you see this going over the next couple of years? And then the second one is going to be, I'm going to prepare you for it, is going to be, if you were king for a day, how would you design it? But let's look at, I'll let you decide which one of those you want to take first. How would you make it? How would you think it was ideal? And two, how, where do you think it's going? Why is it just going to fall together? Right. Of course, where it is going with all of the emphasis on uh, environmental uh, credits and so on and so forth, and, and decreasing cost of rooftop solar, decreasing cost of storage, uh, this distributed energy resources, active participation of, of the demand side is going to increase. And, and so more and more uh, distribution utilities have to deal with proliferation of these distributed energy resources and their impact in uh, the distribution system. This includes something like voltage impacts, reverse power flows, phase unbalances, and so on and so forth. So they have to learn how to deal with this, and they're doing that. Sort of putting in place mechanisms particularly situational awareness. And, and um, what, what we are seeing is that traditionally, these uh, distribution utilities have what is known as distribution SCADA, distribution supervisory control and data acquisition, that gave them visibility to, for example, substations, but not all the way to the last mile and, and, and the grid edge, the service point. They did not have visibility or control, real-time visibility and control. And what we are seeing is emergence of what we call grid edge scatter or grid edge supervisory control and data acquisition that enables them to extend their visibility all the way to the last mile, feeders and, and grid edge assets to have better situational awareness, predict what's going to, to happen and, and therefore improve the, the distribution uh, operations. So that's, that's one direction that we're saying both uh, the problem that is being created and the solutions that, that are being developed. Now, uh, with respect to, okay, what would I, what would I do? Mm -hmm. um, there are two schools in here. One school is saying that in this participatory grid, you have to respect, redesign, the operation of the entire grid to respect what is referred to sometimes as laminar decomposition. In other words, respect that British assets have, are connected to distribution utilities. So their primary interaction is with the distribution utilities. Then the distribution utilities have to connect or do connect and have to interact with transmission or bar power. So that school basically says with with edge assets, they have to first provide all of their services of flexibility to the distribution utility. The distribution utility then decides how much of it they need, and then they, if they want to participate in the bulk power markets or provide transmission services, they on their turn in their turn bundle these capabilities and offer them. Now, I sort of do not want to be 
so drastic such kind of a restriction because, for example, Fertile 2 that I have mentioned a couple of times, basically says aggregators should be able to go to bulk power markets. So that means they can offer their services to the bulk power markets and all they need to do is to inform the distribution rather than be restricted and only have to offer their services to the distribution. So with respect to those schools, I support the latter uh, that, yeah, you are an aggregator or large uh, industrial commercial with um, services that you can offer to the bulk power or a microgrid, you should be able to do that without having to get permission from the distribution utility or have to offer those services to the distribution utility first. Uh, but you have to inform. That is essential. You don't need to disclose the commercial arrangements that you have. With the bulk power market, you should tell them what the quantities are because they need the quantities to assess the impact of what you are doing, what you are participating in the bulk power market on the distribution grid. And it is only fair for them to know that and, and, and take actions based on that information. But you need not provide to them commercial information or you need not be restricted as a grid participant or consumer or aggregator to only deal with them and not go to the bulk power. So that is, that is the way that I, I, I take my position in that debate. Okay. So now the, the series on blockchain. Now we've, we've really kind of talked about the participatory grid. I think I have a better understanding than and maybe something I didn't grasp fully before. Uh, so thank you for, for that. And I hope our listeners caught that as well. But uh, now using blockchain, let's talk about where it goes and what the strengths are. How are we going to, how does that, that connect? Right. I already alluded to a couple of examples of how blockchain can save uh, some of the, well, address some of the issues. I gave you the example of physical interested trade of 20 years ago that we had to deal with. Uh, I mentioned the issue of um, double sale and, and keeping track of the origin uh, for renewable energy credits. Those are uh, primary examples of how blockchain can actually address some of the existing issues. Now, when I look at the industry, of course, we see a lot of activities involving use of blockchain, some of them, uh, I, I sort of see that, yeah, they, they demonstrate blockchain can do some of the things that other uh, techniques can also accomplish. But my main emphasis, my work is on the areas or use cases where blockchain can address a specific problem that we are facing in this increasingly participatory career more efficiently, more securely, and more easily than alternative techniques that, that we are used to or, or, or we have uh, used in the past. So that is the area where so I see them. If we, if we looked at that it's an efficiently efficiency, more securely, more efficiently, um, who, you know, there's some costs involved with adding distributed ledger. Uh, you know, who absorbs that and how much 
reduction, how much savings is there? Yeah, that that is a very good question because we really do not have much of actual field experience to collect statistics and and provide basically a number or or ranges based on uh, historical analysis. But with respect to what we see emerging, the blockchain, those who offer the blockchain service, they can basically, based on what services they provide, charge a fee and the users of these services and capabilities that blockchain provides would be happy to provide those because uh, right now, the example I gave you, participation of aggregate assets or aggregators all cover markets for provision of flexibility services and so on. There are transaction costs involved in, in these ISR markets. There are transaction costs involved for these aggregates. Blockchain can reduce those transaction costs by a combination of two things. One is uh, the, the smart contracts, and, and the second one is direct action based on external signals, off the chain signals, such as telemetry or metering and, and so on and so forth. So the value that it brings is reduced transaction cost. And so um, but then of course, the users will be willing to pay a reduced fee in return for reduced transaction cost that they would uh, be saving. And when they participate in this participatory way. So do you think, I mean, there's some costs involved. The aggregators, you said, are already absorbing some of that. Do you think that we end up pushing off higher prices to the consumers? Or is it enough efficiency improvements that we just reduce the costs of the whole pipeline? Yeah, that is a very good question. And that does not relate only to the application of blockchain, it, it, it goes even further or deeper as you have proliferation of distributed energy resources and the consumers satisfying their own needs, then the passive consumers who are, do not enjoy these capabilities, they have to buy their power from the utility. Now, the utilities, are, although they are under utility commissions and so on and so forth, they have no way other than to increase costs or increase their rates. However, by new venues to have other sources of revenue, to provide other services, and also uh, the fact that we have um, proliferation of electric transportation or, or electrification of transportation, that combination, to some extent, um, compensates for that reduced bottom line of the utility and, and helps them keep the rates um, for the passive consumers uh, as, as in, without having to, to increase them. Although we already see applications to public utilities commissions by many utilities to increase rates for, for the consumers just because of that reduced bottom line. Now, 
um, blockchain with respect to these new sources of revenues that I mentioned that the utility can put in place, it is going to reduce the cost for the utility to procure and, and manage those services as new sources of revenues. Um, even for electricity, electrification of transportation. Mm -hmm. The utilities are gradually displacing the oil companies in that respect. As you have more electric vehicles displacing the gasoline um, fueled vehicles, like in California, you're pushing it to prohibit the sale of gasoline uh, fueled vehicles. Um, so it's just a natural progression. Yeah. It's just the next natural progression of technology that we know from years past, we might lose some workforce, we might lose some manual things, but we become more efficient overall. It is, it is that, but at the same time, you just have, you have a different vocation emerging. So you have to, the people have to retool themselves. In my 50 years in this industry, I have retooled myself several times because mm -hmm. what I learned when I got my PhD about 50 years ago, has changed so much. And, and uh, I got my PhD from MIT, which is one of the very good schools in electrical engineering. But uh, then what I learned then is useless now. If I wanted to only stick to that, I have had to read for myself several times. And, and the most recent is, of course, um, with respect to transactive energy. I'm a member of GWAC and I've been active in that area. And more recently, blockchain added to that transaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely a, a, a new world order I'm hearing here in all this these discussions. But it kind of as we rock to the end of our time, um, what's, what do you need help with? What kind of outreach do you need people that might be listening to this to, to engage with? Yeah, I, I think the best thing, there is so much that one of the things that, that has become very difficult is to keep up with everything that is happening because there's so much happening. The most recent is, of course, the in, in infrastructure bill uh, for, um, you know, in, in the U.S. that provides a whole new source of revenues that everybody is after these days. And, and there's a lot of activities. In the industry. So I would encourage people to, to follow uh, the news. Of course, it is very difficult. I, for my part, I do follow them, and when I get the chance, I provide summaries, um, uh, and we put blogs on our website at OATI, for, mm -hmm. which is available to the public, available, so they can go there and, and look at what's happening in some of these hot areas. Um, I have had several recent blogs on, for example, First Order 222, which addresses some of these issues participation of graded assets in the markets, what various ISRTOs are doing, New York ISO and California ISOs have already done their compliance filings and some others, multi-state ISOs who have asked for an extension and they're doing their filings early uh, in 2022. So we are, we are following and trying to provide digest for our, um, whoever cares to, to follow these things to, to actually but um, yeah, there is a lot happening, and and, and following that is is really what what I recommend. All attention. right. Well, it's it's been a pleasure having you on today and speaking with you, Dr. Rahimi. Um, we definitely appreciate you being on. 
Thanks. Have a great day. Very much. Pleasure is mine. And thanks for the opportunity. uh, Thanks again. All right. You heard it here on New Cyber Frontier. Thanks. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world. But you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at NewCyberFrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.